I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. Remember early on in the pandemic when we thought there was a small silver lining to our worlds being turned upside down? I'm talking about when rents actually went down in the Bay Area. Many suggested a mass exodus would happen. Landlords lowered their rent prices. People moved into bigger places or neighborhoods they never dreamed they could afford. That was short-lived. Rental markets in the Bay Area are competitive once again. A new report by the National Low-Income Housing Coalition confirmed what we already know. The Bay Area is still hella expensive to live in. Their latest findings put a finer point to that reality. You have to make more than $61 an hour to comfortably afford rent for a two-bedroom apartment in the San Francisco metro area. That's more than what's needed in other expensive U.S. cities, including New York and Los Angeles. Despite tenant efforts like rent strikes and advocacy for renter assistant funds, the rental housing landscape in the Bay Area is getting more complicated. Chronicle housing reporter Lauren Hepler joins me to explain why. Her story about how much money is needed to rent an apartment in San Francisco was one of the most read stories on the site on Monday. She's here to give us her update. Lauren, thanks for being on Fifth Emission. Hey there, thanks for having me. So Lauren, $61 an hour to afford rent for a two-bedroom San Francisco apartment is a lot. How does it compare to other major cities in the country? It is definitely a lot, and it's in fact the most in the country. So um, San Francisco is followed on this list by the National Low-Income Housing Coalition by Santa Cruz, where you'll need about 60 bucks an hour to comfortably afford the average two-bedroom. And what that means is the wage you'll need to pay no more than 30% of your income towards rent. And that's kind of a long accepted like federal guideline for keeping rent affordable, where you have enough money left over for food, for healthcare, for all those things. So in the top two, you've got San Francisco and Santa Cruz. Um, and compared to other places like New York, the what they call the housing wage, that amount of money you need to make to keep housing costs below 30% of your income is about $45 there. So we're talking about significantly higher higher here even than other notoriously expensive cities. And when we say San Francisco metro area, because that's what we're talking about here, what are we specifically talking about and how does it compare to other parts of the Bay Area? Yeah, so the San Francisco metro area includes San Francisco and then also really expensive San Mateo County, so Silicon Valley, and Marin County in the North Bay. And in those areas, the Department of Housing and Urban Development says that the fair market value for a two-bedroom apartment right now is around $3,198, so about 3200 bucks a month. Um, obviously, you'll find higher and lower depending on if it's a newer building, if it's rent-controlled, all of these things. And and that was pretty similar to San Jose, um, obviously hour or so south of the of San Francisco, where this report found that you need to make about fifty five dollars an hour to to keep up with the housing costs there. And in Oakland, the figure dropped a little bit to $44 an hour. But when you think about it, obviously the minimum wage in a lot of places uh, in the Bay Area ranges between about $15 to, in San Francisco, it's $16.99 an hour. So, you know, we're talking like triple minimum wage in San Francisco. So a number that's really out of reach for a lot of folks. Um, And if you kind of pan out and look throughout California, you'll see coastal areas like Santa Cruz, I mentioned, also very, very high up on this list, along with places like San Diego and Santa Barbara. 
So, Lauren, none of this is surprising. The Bay Area has always been known as being notoriously expensive when it comes to housing. What's different about this year versus other years prior where we've heard about this trend for so long? Yeah, you're totally right. This is a report that comes out every year, um, again, by the National Low-Income Housing Coalition. It's called Out of Reach. And they now find that nationwide in about 91 percent of counties, um, someone who's making minimum wage can't even afford the average one-bedroom apartment. So this is something that's been well-documented in a lot of different areas. And like you say, it's not a surprise that these Bay Area cities are at the very top of the list. But the thing that's becoming increasingly extreme is um, how much the income inequality is expanding even between renters. So in San Francisco, in San Jose, the federal wage data that's in this report um, shows that the average renter now makes upwards of $65 an hour. Uh, but again, that's an average, like minimum wage, like we said, is still 15 bucks, 16 bucks an hour. So there's just this huge gap between renters of different types. It kind of gives you this, like, when I think about it, it's like this Hunger Games kind of environment um, mm-hmm. where you've got people that just make vastly different amounts of money competing for housing. And again, you'll find differences in, like, not everyone is going for brand new luxury units. There, There is some variation, but it's overall really competitive. Um, and we know there's just not enough to go around. And so you can also look at places like Oakland, where the jobs tend to be more industrial, administrative in some cases, and the average renter is earning about $31 an hour there. And in Santa Cruz and other places that ranked high on this list, tourism and agriculture would obviously be the big industries. And there, the average renter is making less than 20 bucks an hour. So mm-hmm. that's way, way off from this $60 an hour that you need if you want a decent sized place like a, a two bedroom. And how has the COVID pandemic impacted the trend? Yeah, it's an open question. And obviously, like, we're still waiting for some of the data to catch up with the things we've all been seeing play out over the last couple of years. Um, But the things we've been watching really closely were this question of whether high-income renters in particular would just choose to move elsewhere to buy houses, to work remotely in a place where they think their money might go a bit further which we anecdotally know happened in some cases. Like I, I talked to folks who moved to Texas or other parts of the country, um, but it's not really been this mass exodus when you look at like post office moving data and other sources. So what it comes down to instead, like I said, is these situations where the rental market is getting more competitive again, hunger gamesy. Um, and the challenge there, if you're someone who's not making a ton of money, is that some landlords will ask for evidence of, oh, do you make three times the rent each month and income. And and if you don't have that, it can be much, much harder to find a place in an already challenging environment. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. We're talking about the rental market, but we also know home buying is an unrealistic goal for so many Bay Area residents. Is that what's also keeping the rental market so competitive and expensive? Yeah, that's one factor that's raised in the report. So you get these high-income households that are maybe losing home bidding wars, people that in a normal, quote-unquote, normal city would 
go on to become a first-time home buyer maybe don't get that opportunity in the Bay Area when the starter home in a lot of areas is like a million dollars or more. It takes a long time to work up to that if you know, you're know you ever able to do that based on your income. So that's where you get this intense competition where people are maybe screened out if they, they don't have the super high income to qualify for an apartment, if your credit score isn't as high as other folks. Um, and, and that's sort of a, a challenge for a lot of people. And what are the other culprits that are keeping rents so high? There's also some of these sort of like macro trends that you see in the Bay Area, but also other places as well. So like an increasing number of investor landlords is another point raised in the report where you get folks who are obviously like by nature motivated by uh, profit margins. And then in California, the elephant in the room is also, you know, producing new homes. We've got an overall lack of about 960,000 affordable rental homes that was cited in this report. Plus, there's some current economic challenges like inflation that we all know folks are dealing with. So it's really a, a convergence of a lot of different culprits. And Lauren, we can't really talk about housing without talking about homelessness I know your reporting talks about the issues in the Bay Area, but we can also point to solutions. Is the Bay Area doing anything different? What what are they trying or relying on now to tackle these issues? Yeah, it's a timely question because San Francisco reported a slight decline in homelessness earlier this year, but we saw a 22% spike in Alameda County, a 35% jump in Contra Costa County. So it sort of suggests that that extreme unaffordability is sprawling to different Mm. parts of the Bay Area. And homelessness Mm. is a really complicated issue because like when we're out talking to folks in encampments, you meet some people in tents who've been outside for a long time, but others just ended up homeless in recent weeks or months after they lost a job or they got evicted or they ran into a personal crisis. And because of those varied situations, there's also a whole range of solutions. So during the pandemic, we saw a lot of places trying emergency housing vouchers, which obviously depends on getting a landlord to accept your voucher, um, but also longer term programs like converting motels into housing um, and some some stopgap things like tiny homes or other, they call them interim housing. So the questions with a lot of those are sort of the scale and speed and whether it's enough to, to keep up with um, the number of people falling through the cracks and ending up homeless. And I think we've also seen this trend where tenants are weighing in on solutions. What are they saying now? Yeah, this is a really interesting and active area. So during the pandemic, we saw several rent strikes organized in different places where tenants all got together and withheld their rent, especially from large landlords. And there was also an uptick in anti-eviction activism that we're continuing to see now as those cases resume. But one thing I'm really curious to watch here are land trust models. That's basically these concepts where you've got a nonprofit that effectively figures out a way to buy a building or an apartment or a home off the private market. And they say, we're going to limit the prices and take it out of this kind of like hunger games market. But again, the question there, like with some of the solutions to homelessness and our other housing challenges is how how many buildings is that really practical for? How How difficult is it to make those negotiations happen to raise $3 million to buy a building? But for those who are directly impacted, it's certainly... Uh, something that they see as life-changing. And in the meantime, it's very clear that the Bay Area needs to develop a lot more housing to meet the demands and the needs of the population. We're going to talk about that more in just a bit, but 
From your perspective as our newsroom's housing reporter, what are really the key barriers to to achieving that? Yeah, it's a big question. And a lot of it really comes down to political will and competing interests. So if you look at um, places like the west side of San Francisco, Silicon Valley, the peninsula area, um, or maybe like a part of Oakland, like Piedmont, that's known for really expensive homes, nice areas, good schools. You do often get existing homeowners who make their voices heard at city council opposing new housing. So that's this camp that you hear about a lot, the NIMBYs, not in my backyard. They're opposed by the YIMBYs, which are people who say we need to develop a whole lot more housing uh, that stands for yes in my backyard, but they'll still run into barriers to development like land costs, construction costs, permitting delays. Uh, There's lawsuits flying between all of these groups all the time. And finally, like some of these stories we're talking about, you've got staunch tenant activists who are most concerned about building new affordable housing and sometimes compete with these two other groups uh, for for political power and for what housing gets approved. So the, the landscape is kind of constantly evolving and it's different in every community. But the big question now is who is going to kind of gain the upper hand that we are going through a major process to plan housing in the Bay Area for the next decade or so. Um, and, and the Bay Area has been tasked by state regulators with building more than 440,000 new housing units. So I think we're going to hear a lot more about this very soon. Lauren, thanks so much. I appreciate your insights. Thank you, Cecilia. Lauren Hepler is a housing reporter for The Chronicle. Her story about rent affordability in the San Francisco metro area is online now at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. Thank you to King Kaufman for the edits and to you for listening. <laughs> 